the younger generation needs more people coming on and being authentic to move away from filters, to move away from what it means to be something or someone and really just find their voice in a space that's already very oversaturated and noisy. Hi, and welcome to the official Laughs podcast. My name is Estefania Lacayo, and along with Samantha Tams, we founded the Latin American Fashion Summit, a global platform for Latin American fashion and design. In our podcast sessions, we aim to bring you enriching and inspiring conversations with designers, entrepreneurs, leaders, activists, and newcomers, and share their powerful stories with you. Thank you for being here. We hope you enjoy the following conversation. Today, I have the pleasure to chat with my good and fellow Miami native, Iman Hassan. Iman is the founder and CEO of PR company, IHC Agency, but really, she's so much more than that. I have always been drawn to her honesty and the way she advocates for causes she's passionate about. She's a wealth of knowledge on all things social media, fashion, biohacking, and spirituality, and I always learn something during my conversations with her, as I am sure you will do today. Here's my conversation with Yvonne. Iman, welcome to the Laughs Podcast. Estefania, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I know that we've been going back and forth on this, um, so we're finally doing it. I'm really excited. So thanks for being here. And Iman and I, you know, we everyone that's been listening, I always like taking it back to how we met. And I was thinking about how we met. And it was through our mutual friend, Elena Wright, who also works at Laughs. Yes, who's a really old friend of my husband's. And I think we met way prior to you moving to Miami. I think we met almost five or six years ago. That's how long it's been. I think and I came to that. the well. Yeah. I think Laughs was just... Starting. Yeah. It was yeah. just a dream that of something crazy that I was thinking of doing. It was far from a reality, I think. And now look at you. Look how far you guys have come. It's crazy, right? How time flies. Well, that's nice for you to say that because when you're in it, you don't see it like that. But yes. <laughs> you have built something incre- absolutely incredible and you've really given a voice to the Latin American community and brands and designers to get recognized on a global scale. And we, watching you from the outside, have seen you create this beautiful platform and it's really been encouraging to watch. That's so sweet. Thanks so much. It's, it's nice to hear because, you know, A, not everyone says these things and we're, we're going to talk about these things today. Yeah. Everyone shares or, I don't know, I don't know if the right word is like, they have the humbleness or... They even want to say something nice to people, but it's very hard when you're building something because I always say that in life could be sometimes could be very lonely, I guess, because you're in it. Yes. Long in it. Um, I, I think being a founder um, can sometimes be a very lonely journey um, because, especially when you're the one who's founded the company, your own, you own the company, you share the vision and stuff um, because. The vision is yours and truly yours, right? And people can come alongside you and want to share with you and grow with you and stuff, but the highs and the lows are yours and you have to own that. If you want to own the highs, you also have to own the lows and realize that this is your true responsibility to build this. You can't walk away from your problems. No, 100%. And and whatever we see in social media is far from the reality. And... And yeah, so yeah, we met, what was the name of that? I was a member of that place. What was the name of that? Um, remember I don't know that? if it was The Well. It was a beautiful co-working space for women. The Wing. There. The wing. Oh my God, what a phenomenal. Talk about, you know, businesses and it's a bummer. I think they're not around anymore because I don't think they survived yeah. the whole pandemic. But it was such a beautiful community and space. Anyways, we met there through a mutual friend because we have a lot of mutual friends because you're friends yeah. Salvadorians. I'm married to someone from El Salvador. El Salvadorian, exactly. And I think you had, had you created already your agency? No. So at the time that we met, I was consulting um, for an agency basically based out of New York, owned by a friend of mine. They're doing super well now and they wanted to expand into Miami and I was kind of doing that. But at that time, um, I'd started dating my husband and he kind of put it back into my head. He's like, why don't you start your own thing? And I'd done that before 
with somebody that had started a company and, you know, I was really young when I did it. We, we did a lot of fashion clients back then and, you know, it just didn't fully work out for me in terms of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go and just the responsibility. I think I was just too young to take it on. And it taught me a lot and I was super grateful for the experience. So when Faison brought this up to me, my husband, I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to do this again. He's like, listen, you bring in all the business anyways. You, you know, you like to connect the dots and you have a very clear vision. Because you have that, I think you'd serve better as somebody owns their own business versus an employee. That's just where you are. And so we met because I was interested in taking on consulting clients and kind of like a little bit, I think it was a year or so after that, 2019, when we went met actually in El Salvador for uh, Andres and Sania's wedding, I started consulting. It was me and two interns back then. 2019 comes around. Some of our first clients are Lifehouse Hotels, Mila Restaurants, um, a couple of interior designers. And then 2020, just as I'm about to start taking off, the pandemic happens and everything kind of shuts down. And, you know, the first thing that shuts down, obviously, is PR marketing. Those are the first budgets anybody decided to cut. Yep. So I went from consulting, thinking it's going to go super well to being like, shit, you know, it's like done. And so I really had to restart and rebuild. And my journey started really, I say that I see kind of started in 2020. It was me with a bunch of, you know, I started, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the revenues. We started with a very, very young team. And in that, it taught me a lot of lessons about leadership, leadership, trust, what you look for in people, healthy boundaries, things that I didn't know anything about, right? Because I'm really venturing out onto my own. And so we, we're young. We're a young agency, I always say. Um, and I'm very proud of where we've gotten today. We have, you know, we're a team of 10 now. We've gone up in size. We've gone down in size. We're full-time now. We're a team of 10. And it's taken me, you know, a minute to get here, figure out who I want to be servicing, who I want to be in service to, and, you know, my day-to-day. So let's talk. It's funny you say that. Um, when we talk about team, um, team is probably one of the hardest things to build and trust because they have to be so aligned with your same values, yep. the core mission. And tell us about your background, like where you were born, raised, where are you connected to this world? And then we're going to go into wellness. Well, we so, um, yeah, so I'm originally, I'm 100% Pakistani. I was born in the States. I was born in Michigan, Bloomfield, really random. Um, my uncle was... Um, working at Henry Ford. He's had a plastic surgery over there for a while. And, you know, a lot of my cousins lived here. So I was born in the States. But then I moved back to Pakistan at three months old. And I was raised in Islamabad, which is the capital of Pakistan. I went to an American school, um, hence my very thick American accent. I moved to London at the age of 13. I'm 40 now. And um, lived in London pretty much for 16 years. And then I moved to Dubai for about three years, around 2009 moved back to London and then I moved to Miami. Amazing. And, but you're still very Pakistani. Yes. I've got to follow you on social media. And this is the reason why I really wanted to invite you to this podcast is because I've been following you for quite some time. And, and all of a sudden I saw a shift in your content that became very much about wellness. And to be quite honest, it started teaching me so many things. And by the way, I thank you for this because Thank you. I'm not this wellness is something that I really just recently that I would say in the past, I would say past two years, I've been more really, really conscious about it. I've been the the spiritual component of me really kicked in around 2010, 2011, and I started studying Kabbalah. But really the component of like really taking care of my body, not only the what you see physically, but also the inside and being more conscious about the the products that I'm buying for my home, the type of vitamins that I'm giving my kids. Really, that just recently started. And by following content like yours has pushed me to even become much more, much more, more conscious about it because I'm very clueless about this. So I, by the way, I thank you. And I want to talk about this. So when you created IHC, the idea was that what you were mentioning was like well, hotels and fashion and what was the shift? How did that shift happen? So we're, you know, we're a full service creative agency. And, you know, a lot of my team still does do a lot of spirits, hospitality, fashion, luxury brands, design. 
my interest, so let's take this back to kind of 2020. So 2020, my, my, my mom passed away from cancer last year. My father always never had great health as well. He passed away a few years prior to that. And back in 2020, 2019, a lot of things started shifting in my life. Um, I got into the world of plant medicine. I also got into the world of biohacking. And I realized at that point that I wasn't well. So I had a lot um, of irregularity around my cycle. I was getting cystic acne. I was getting migraines. I had digestive issues. And so I got introduced to the world of like peptides and biohacking and functional medicine. Simultaneously, I got introduced to the world of plant medicine. And I realized in 2020, the importance of your emotional health, your spiritual health, and your physical health. And all three of those, your emotional body, your spiritual body, and your physical body, they're all interconnected. Every single part of you is interconnected. And you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to just eat all these supplements and eat all this food and hope that things will be okay. There's a, there's a very famous book called The Body Keeps Score. And even if you try to push ideas or trauma or things back in your mind, your body remembers that stuff. And seeing what 2020 did to families, communities, the fear that came out in people around the pandemic, the fear of them losing control, I really wanted to help people feel better. And I'm not a doctor, right? I I right now finished a a degree from Cornell in health and nutrition, but I'm not a doctor. So I wanted to lean into the space of functional practitioners, experts, and really create a space that I could help educate people on how broken our food system is. America is a first world country. We're supposed to be, you know, one of, you know, the superpowers in the world, but our food system is so broken and so corrupt. So is our healthcare system. So I thought that, you know, it's something I'm so passionate about. I want to help people help feel better, connect to themselves again. And I was a little nervous when I started this because you know, if you go to my page, I'm very open about the use of psychedelics and plant medicines for mental health and personal development. I'm also very open about, you know, um, things that are going wrong with our with our food system, our water supply. Um, we're being over-medicated. We're being, you know, pharmaceutical companies in their essential hand and all of this. And it was nervous. It was nerve-wracking for me, right? Because I've always been this, this kind of like, quote-unquote, I, I was an influencer by default because of where I worked and what I've done. But I've always spoken about fashion and being at you know New York Fashion Week, Paris Fashion Week, this show, that show. But I needed to embrace that part of myself, Estefania, because I felt like an imposter. In what way did you feel like an imposter? It's so interesting because like, I would have, you know, on social media, I didn't feel like that. Yeah. You know, I would go to, and I was thinking about this the other day when you and I were speaking. So let's say, you know, I went to Paris Fashion Week last, it was probably 2019. It was probably February uh, 2019. And, you know, I went to the Hermes show. I went to Chanel. I was covering for basically um, Hello India. And I was writing a column for them. So I was covering Fashion Week for them. So I'd get invited to all the, you know, the big shows and stuff. And I'd always feel so out of place with the fashion influencers. I feel like I'd sit with them. I would not have much to talk about. I felt a little bit disconnected. I thought that they love talking about this collection and this creative director and stuff. And I realized that those things just don't spark my soul. I wanted to focus on community in a, in a very different way. And I wanted to focus on helping people feel better. And I love beautiful things. I love clothes. I, you know, love fashion, but I didn't love it in a way enough to invest in it the way I had built my brand so far. And it took me a minute to realize I felt when I sat around the room with the influencers and, you know, the creative directors and all this stuff, I just didn't feel like I fit in. And where I couldn't pinpoint exactly what that was, I had to go with my gut. And say, I just don't feel like I belong in this circle because I'm not as passionate about the stuff that these people are passionate about. And I also had burnout at that stage about taking 20 Instagram photos, shooting this outfit, shooting that outfit. I just didn't want to be that person anymore. Well, makes sense. And so that's really where my, with my journey really started and started with me healing my own health. It started with me seeing my parents very, very sick and not understanding and believing in, you know, conventional medicine in some aspects versus not. And it made me dive deeper into this, this philosophy of our body has the ability to heal itself, but do we wait till we're sick and we have disease or we, do we start early enough to make sure we don't get to that point? Makes total sense. And even you mentioned it right now, you're very open about 
about all your journey that like you just had your nose job because you had yes from those broken accident yeah was that correct and you're very open about really like everything psychedelics what you consume everything tell us about like how has your how is it because we live in this world that like and it's so sad because it's like we can get canceled for anything right how yeah absolutely reacted to this evolve iman that like really is so connected to herself and to her well-being and it and that takes you to also be so open and vulnerable and sometimes not sometimes we live in this fucked up world that like yeah don't want to be open because they want to cancel you when you're open right so i have you know like everybody you know everybody has insecurities and pain points and stuff so a friend of mine actually said this to me on saturday i was talking to her that I just put myself out there, Stephanie, because one, I scroll through all these people's pages and Instagrams, everything's so curated, so this and that. I didn't want to build something that was unauthentic, meaning there's, everyone has bad days. Everyone has things they don't want to share. And for me, my page is about sharing it all, sharing the highs, sharing the lows, sharing the lessons. You know, we're in the process of adopting a kid. I talk about that. So I really wanted to build a platform that was relatable to the average woman who might be having a terrible day and need some sort of inspiration. And it's not highly curated and highly edited content. So I wanted to build something that was authentic because I think too many of us are so scared exactly what you said about being canceled that we don't want to show versions of ourselves. But that's not what social media needs. The younger generation needs more people coming on and being authentic to move away from filters, to move away from what it means to be something or someone and really just find their voice in a space that's already very oversaturated and noisy. And there have been times that I've looked at like other owners of other agencies and I'm like, these people must think I'm crazy. I talk about psychedelics. I talk about my own personal journey. I'm going out to the gym and I'm getting on Instagram and talking about stuff. A part of me is to get very insecure as well and being like, what the hell will people think? But a part of me has also said that is my truth. And I want to show up as my true version of myself. And if you don't want to work with our agency or you don't want to be our client or you don't want to work on my team, that is your choice. But I'm not going to not show who I am afraid of what people are going to think. And I think it's a, it's an exercise in myself to build confidence. Sometimes I post stuff and I'm like, why did I post it? Like, let's say my surgery. I had an accident and I broke my nose uh, three years ago. It took me three years to decide if I'm going to actually do a surgery and I did it. And I also added in, by the way, I'm turning 40 this year. I decided to add in a brow lift for myself as a gift because I went, I just wanted to do it. I wanted to feel better. Now, I didn't hide any of that. I didn't go off social media, take a social media break and do all of that stuff because I think that's inauthentic. I think women should do as they please and show up with who they want to show up as and not be scared of being canceled. Most people on my page were super supportive about it. I did get some random people sending me some super nasty messages to which I responded and said, I think social media, if you cannot say something nice to somebody, you shouldn't say anything at all. And this is what I also do when people are bashing celebrities. I just don't follow them. And I think it's very unkind because let's say I can handle a lot of stuff. I have very thick skin. What if you're speaking to somebody who has mental health issues and that comment will just suck them off? So we have to be really mindful of our words. We have to really be mindful of our actions. And um, we also have to be really conscious of what what energy are we putting on this space? What are we trying to create? So for me, my page and my communicating with my audience has really become about being authentic, showing up with all different versions of yourself, the best and the worst, and just being real because not everything is perfectly color coordinated and perfected and photoshopped. That is not what life is. And if that is a version of life you want to show people, then your brand is not authentic. I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, for me... It's really interesting you said because in my case, you know, I've always been, I've always loved fashion so much, but I found a bigger purpose in fashion. I wanted to help people. And it's and it's funny, you when we talk about social media, we we're talking about it the other day. It's like for me, it was like a huge insecurity because I had my Instagram closed until I was like, I don't know, a year and a half into laughs already. Yeah. And and then I think Meta came in as a partner, as a sponsor. And they were like, you guys need to, you both of you girls need to. Yeah, exactly. ASAP. And by the way, we suck at it and we're so bad at it because like, we don't like going out, talking so much about it. And by the way, it all comes down to an insecurity. It's, it all comes down to an insecurity because, well, I don't want to be looked like 
a content creator, because by the way, I respect so much that job to another level. I have dear friends that I are in that job. I'm just not one. Yeah. There's a size like, why am I so insecure about it? It's like, I can just be look like someone running a business, but I have to also be a yeah. business. But anyways, it all comes down to an insecurity. Um, so now I finally found a way of like, well, if I do a share an art, like a picture or something, at least I share it with something that I want to share with my community. And it all yes. comes also to put myself in a vulnerable position because I think so many people that follow us could be dealing with something. We're all struggling. Absolutely. With but we need to be sharing this because if not, it's your duty, especially when you have such a big community, like for you, especially on social media, like it comes down to like, it's our responsibility, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important. So exactly the point you're touching upon right now. So, you know, I'm South Asian originally and Pakistani and our, you know, look at our part of the world, look at women's rights around Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, the Middle East. Our women have very stifled voices. They are not given the same opportunities at times. And so I count myself very lucky. I was raised, my mother especially was like, any opportunities that are given to a man are given to my daughter. She had two daughters and she raised us to be very strong and independent and very headstrong women, which was very, very rare from the part of the world I'm from. You know, you don't see a lot of, you know, mothers raising their daughters like that. And, um, you know, I realized more and more when I would post about plant medicine or psychedelics or biohacking or just like women having a voice, the amount of women who reach out to me, who are South Asian and talk to me about their problems, they either can't conceive or they're in an abusive marriage or they're going through divorce, absolute strangers. And I speak to them on DMs and I communicate with them and I give them advice and stuff. It was amazing because I'm able to give these women who are scared to leave situations because I've had a lot of ups and downs in my life to give them the opportunity to have faith, to rebuild themselves and not have fear to walk away from something that is not working. And sometimes I share content and I said, even if what I share impacts one person and changes their life, that's good enough for me. That's, that's more than good enough. It's definitely changing so many lives. I promise you at least you're teaching me so much. Let's talk about biohacking. I know it's to yeah. hearing a lot. Tell us about everything. And you talk about it a lot. I, I talk about it a lot. So biohacking is your body's ability to hack its physiology and its DNA, right? And now more and more and more, we've seen so much at our fingertips from DNA sequencing to understanding the role of peptides, really understanding even your blood work on a functional level because People normally wait till they're sick or unwell or a problem arises to start fixing themselves. I believe that disease is optional. I believe the way we age is optional. And you see a lot of like, you look at Mark Heyman's content, you look at Dave Asprey, all of these people talk about it. And I think that we have the ability to choose how we age, what disease, you know, look, get ahead of like diseases we might be getting and really work with our bodies and get into sync with our bodies. And it's a journey. And so I got into biohacking, like I said in the beginning, because I wasn't doing well. I had a history of ovarian cysts on and off since I was a child. Um, I used to get really, really bad migraines. And seeing my mother super sick with cancer really like flipped a switch in me. So I don't want this reality. I don't want to be going through, you know, her going in and out of chemo, in and out of this. I don't want to be doing this. So I got introduced to a functional doctor. It was like, whatever, it was like 2019. And he really introduced me to all of this stuff and started changing my journey. And I can tell you, hands down, I've never felt healthier and happier. And this journey really helped ground me and made me realize how much of a choice we have in our health and what a role that we can play and how we age and how we tackle disease. And that's really kind of how my journey in biohacking started. And so I share about that on my page, whether it's peptides, whether it's taking certain supplementations. Um, and as I'm learning, because I'm always learning, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I share the content as I go with my community and also connect them with practitioners or doctors who are actually specialists to be able to answer their questions in more detail, things that I'm not educated to answer on. I love it. What's your thoughts? I've just, you know, I've just, through you and through a friend of mine that is a doctor that lives in Kibiskane, I've started learning about biohacking and I've started learning also about, about doing um, this um, infusion of NAD. Blood, NAD. I, yes. I saw you doing it. What's your thoughts on this? 
Listen, so I am a very big fan of NAD. I've been doing it for three years. So I do the, I've done the IVs, which is like you do it for four or five days back to back. And then I do actually at home everyday kind of NAD as well. So NAD essentially is, is a, it's a master essentially detoxer. It helps supply your, your cells, the nucleus in your cells with, um, and transport out the junk and replenish it with all the good stuff and really kind of have you performing at 100%. It's great for longevity. It's great for mental health. It's great for brain fog. It's also great for long COVID people. Um, I love NAD infusions. I do mine at home with NAD topped with glutathione. I inject myself in the morning with both of those. Um, Let's back up. Why do you do it? How do you do it? Where do you find it? (laughs) So I have a functional doctor that I work with, Dr. Ivan Roselko. He's based on beach. His um, practice is called plasticity. He's the guy who actually got me into all these peptides, biohacking stuff. So how they do it is and how he's he's always done it is... He's based in Miami. Yes, Miami Beach. He's based in Miami Beach. And basically um, how he works is he runs your blood work. And that's, by the way, that's really where you see an improvement in yourself. Your blood does not lie. If you see my blood work, Estefania, from four years ago to when I started to who I am now, and also I did this test about biological age versus chronological age, you know, and I've slowed down my aging process over the last four years by getting into biohacking. I've slowed down my aging process by two to three years. So um, I got into this stuff with with Ivan and um, he introduced me to NAD because he's like, listen, it really helps your mitochondria. I had um, I had candida at the time, which is like yeast infection in my stomach, which a lot of people, by the way, have. It's very, very, very common in, in the US because of our diet. Have like, um, you know, a yeast infection, which can eventually lead to SIBO and stuff. So gut issues are probably one of the biggest things you see across the board, across the spectrum, because seed oil is the kind of food we're eating, um, gluten that's sprayed with glyphosate, all of this stuff. So I got into NAD four years ago and I realized it's hard in the beginning. You probably felt that as well. Like it really hits you when you're first taking it in. But after that, you just feel so amazing. And even your sleep quality changes. In my case, I'm super alert. I'm not yeah. HDHD and I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia, but I'm, I probably do have dyslexia. So yeah. it really helps me focus. be much more focused. Mm-hmm. 100%. And so I did the, the series of the IVs and now I've shifted to at-home injectable peptides that you do them in a little insulin syringe and I have a protocol that I do. He shifts up your protocol every two to three months, depending on where you're, what you need. So let's say I just had plastic surgery. So my protocol right now is very much about helping my body heal, which is why, by the way, even my plastic surgeon was like, you've healed at a warped speed. Um, and I've been doing like regular cryotherapy. I've been taking certain peptides that help your body recover and heal faster. And so, you know, let's talk about what peptides are. Peptides are basically short chain amino acids, essentially like proteins that signal to your body different things to do. So you can take peptides for um, volume in the hair, better skin, collagen production, um, mental clarity, brain fog, different things. Each peptide has a different function. And depending on what you need and depending on where your blood levels are and different things, you get put on a program or a protocol traditionally your protocol will run two to three months and then they look at you, they reevaluate you, they look at your blood, they see how you're feeling and all that stuff. And then they see if you need to continue with the same program or protocol or you switch it up. Amazing. How did you find this doctor? It would be so great to something. He's amazing. So I found him because I became friends with this older Brazilian woman and this woman looks phenomenal. She was training me. She's actually a personal trainer. And let's say she was at the time... 46 or 47, right? And her husband was a little bit younger than her and she wanted to have a baby. She's been seeing this guy for years and she got pregnant naturally. She's 47 years old. She got pregnant naturally, had the most healthy pregnancy. And she was like, listen, like you really need to get into biohacking. You should get into biohacking. You should meet this guy. He's amazing. And I met him and, you know, Ivan's an acquired taste. He's not for everybody because he's super blunt. He's to the point. He's very open about his stances on things. And um, Ivan really transformed my my life and my journey with my personal health and wellness. And this biohacking paired with my journey with plant medicine really transformed me. And I always say, I wouldn't be the Iman I am today had I not gone down this path with, with plant medicine. Plant medicine to me has played 
a very monumental role in my life, dealing with generational trauma, especially the part of the world that I come from, um, my own personal story, my own personal narrative, and the things that I've shared and experienced, and really helping me understand my purpose, why I'm here, and to not have that much, so much fear about the unknown and not have so much fear about who I'm meant to be. So a lot of this stuff that I sometimes share, I'm like, you know what? I've seen it before. I've experienced it before. I'm just going to put the content out there because this is what I'm meant to be doing. Did you do it? So now we're moving into psychedelics. So did you do it? How was the first journey? How did you go about it? Did you go with, with like a shaman or... Yep. Someone, where did you do it for the first time? Were you there with your husband by yourself? So I did my first um, ayahuasca. My journey started with basically ayahuasca. Um, my husband has already been, you know, in this space. So he'd been trying journeys and journeying for like six, seven years. And he introduced me to it. So I did my first journey, funny enough, in November 2019. And I'd never experienced anything like this. I wasn't much of a party animal or anything like that. I didn't dabble with psychedelics recreationally much. It was just not... I. I just not one of those girls. And so when I did it, I it blew my mind. I felt that Estefania, my head cracked open like an egg, like literally like a fried egg. And I realized what a limiting way I was looking at the world. The world is so vast that in a way you were tiny, a tiny speck, but yet you were everything. And I realized the amount, I'd never felt unconditional love in that capacity ever in my life until my first ayahuasca journey. And for me, it was a very, very, very important journey. Up until that point, this is November, 2019, I hadn't spoken to my father in eight years. And I think I, I posted about this. Um, I hadn't spoken to my dad about eight years. He went on to have another family and kids behind our back, cut off all ties with me, everything like that. and my first ayahuasca journey, I thought me and my mother were very close. I thought my mother would come up. My mother never came up in that journey. My father came up in that journey. And I remember sitting around the fire in, this was in Mexico because, you know, ayahuasca essentially is not legal in the US. So we always travel to countries that it's legal as part of their culture. It's allowed, all that stuff. So we did it in Mexico. And um, my father comes up in my journey and he shows up and he literally, I feel him sitting next to me and he says, I'm sorry, but in this life, I cannot meet you where you are. I can only meet you where I am. And this is all I can do for you. And it was the most surreal experience that I had. I was able to cry and tell him how I've been feeling. I felt abandoned, neglected, all of this stuff. And I let it all out. And at the end of that, he I had this feeling that came up and I was like, I don't think he's going to live much longer. Granted, I have no contact with this man. I haven't seen him in eight years. I haven't spoken to him. I would email him. He wouldn't write me back. Oh. And this is November, February, 2020. My father passes away. My father passes away and I don't, the, his new wife had buried him, didn't even tell the rest of his children from his first wives. And I'm an only, I was the only child from both parents. And I find out he died through an Instagram DM. Somebody sent me the picture of his body. And said, by the way, you should know your father passed away and we're, we're burying him, like a distant cousin of mine. Wow. And had I not done this journey, I would have had so much trauma around my father's death because I used to be his favorite child until like I got older and I'll get into that a little bit more. But I had so many answers from that first ayahuasca journey because I laughed, I cried, I, I, he apologized, I made peace with it. Then when he died, even though it was sad, it didn't completely shake up my world because I I got closure around his death. That's amazing. It's and, so important uh, that you're sharing this because, I mean, we've all had family traumas and yeah. I believe it's like unresolved problems. And I that's where I believe plant, like ayahuasca, which by mm -hmm. the way, incentivizing anyone, people should talk to professionals oh. that do this. Yeah, of course. Because just like how I'm hearing this, unbelievable journey i think you also have to be prepared to get absolutely there. this is not a journey for the faint of hearts i will tell you something when you start going down this path this is not like you go and you come back and everything's fine and dainty the real work starts when you come back something like ayahuasca is a very introspective journey you're gonna you're it's you against you i always say this it's you against you and you be you have to be ready to accept the worst of yourself to get to the best of yourself because it's a journey with yourself and a lot of times we tell ourselves this narrative we have this negative programming it's like poor me victim mentality no 
She will show you that at the end of the day, your life is your responsibility, your actions are your responsibility, and it will teach you accountability. So if you're not ready to really dig in and do the work and look at yourself and face yourself, then it's going to be extremely hard for you. And I do not suggest somebody doing that unless they're ready to really dive in. But I also think it is one of the most rewarding things because when we live in denial about our true self and who, and we don't live in authenticity and we just want to be part of a rat race or fit in because of the cool girls and so-and-so and what so-and-so is doing, we're not living authentically. And if we're not living authentically, we're not living our true self. And when we're not living in our true self, some part of our soul and life will always suffer because you know better. Your higher self always knows that this is not the real you. And you can only live like that so far. And that's where people get depressed or anxious and eventually develop chronic disease and stuff because your body is not living in in the truth of your reality and who you're really meant to be. Not living in peace with yourself. Absolutely. Um, And when you, the times that you've done, when you do this, like I would imagine that you have to be in a very safe environment with people that absolutely so there are a lot of you know quote-unquote shamans out there and i tell people please do your research just don't go anywhere and everywhere just experience ayahuasca you know there's a light side to it there's a very dark side to it a lot of people take advantage especially women we've heard some horror stories about people so i would really be mindful of who i sit in the medicine with you know who you're surrounded with because listen you energetically you're so vulnerable at that stage you need to be surrounded by the right people and it's different ways of doing it. Our, our shamans are not, um, like, you know, kind of like from a certain tribe in Peru or something like that. We, we belong to a bit more of a progressive community. However, there are different ways to do it. I think the medicine will do what it's meant to do. Your message and your journey is unique to you. Um, but you really need to trust who you do it with. You need to be very careful who you do it with and who you're sitting with overall. I would, as a single woman or just as a woman, not venture out into the world and be like, I'm just going to travel to Peru or Colombia and go in the jungle. Like that is a risk. And when you're so emotionally vulnerable, you don't also want to be physically vulnerable. It's just not a good situation. So I would really do my research. I would maybe do it with a friend for the first time, go somewhere that somebody's already been, tried and tested, and really be part of a community because these people can go on to become like family for you. That's what's happened to me and my husband. Some of these people have become some of our closest friends and our best friends. And we've introduced a lot of our close friends to to this work. And you really hold space for each other. You really see a raw side of each other and you learn to love the flaws in the other person. I love that. Thanks for sharing this. Did you... Um... Do you drink alcohol or you stopped? I don't know why. No, I completely stopped. So um, I had a, you know, my, my husband loves to drink. He's a drinker. He's been doing the work. That's his journey. I started losing the taste for alcohol probably a year and a half ago. And I had a really hard conversation with myself. Like, does this even serve me? I don't like when I drink, I'm forcing myself. And then back to the authenticity. I didn't want to be drinking. It doesn't serve me. I, I, I didn't want to be doing it anymore. So I just came out and said, hey, I'm just not going to do it. And one of my best friends asked me the other day, she's like, would you ever drink again? I said, I'm not going to tell you I'm never going to. I'm just not called to it right now. I don't feel like it. I don't crave it. I don't want it. And also, when you start researching the like the health benefits, the non-health benefits that it has, it further kind of like pinned it down for me that's saying that's just not what I want to be doing. There's no benefits of drinking any amount of alcohol at all, moderate or otherwise, in any way, especially for your brain health. There's just no, there's no data behind it. So I think that we already live in an environment that's so toxic. There's environmental stress, there's emotional stress, there's food stress. I didn't want to keep on adding to that pyramid. So I feel great. I have a lot of energy. Um, I'm still super fun. I can stay out till three, four, five in the morning at a wedding. I have no problems. And I have no problem. I also want to say with people drinking. A lot of my close friends drink. My husband drinks. I have no problem being around it. This is just a very personal decision. So it wasn't a process. It wasn't a hard process. No. No. no for me, but that comes down to each person. Like my husband would always like, you know, does these 90 day cleanses kind of goes back on and does these 90 day cleanses. No, because I didn't have, or like, I didn't have that emotional, maybe this is it. I did not have an emotional connection to alcohol and look at it like a way to de-stress and, you know, make me feel better, make me feel more confident. And you know, it's so funny. A lot of people feel uh, social pressure when they say they don't drink. They're like, oh, but we feel pressurized. People are like, why are you not drinking? Why are you not drinking? I've not felt that. When I say, hey, I don't drink. And they're like, fine. I was like, I just don't like it. That's the end of the conversation. So I really think how you step in and own the dialogue and own that conversation 
is going to be where people put you. And I've never been, from my experience, socially pressured into having a drink ever. So interesting in the past few years. um, So we developed a new category for laughs when we started, um, when the company started growing, that's called experiences where we partner with different companies and we do events and experiences all year round for them, different areas around the world. And I started noticing that at least in Miami, the women that we're inviting to many of these events that are catered to specific companies, they're not craving alcohol anymore. They're not. Yeah. And it's, it's very fascinating. And it's, and I see it more and more every day now. I think there's going to be a huge shift, I think, in the next 10 years. Um, you know, we just signed this incredible client called Little Saints. And they're basically these incredible healthy, because a lot of junk on the market as well, healthy mocktails with 0% sugar, inspired by, funny enough, plant medicine. So you have, you know, they just, you know, sorry? Does it taste good? Like it tastes, I'm going to actually send this um, a case to your oh office. So it's amazing. Because I'm, I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to remove that glass of wine Tuesday for this. Oh my God, please. I would love to I'm going to send it to you. After this, after we're done, text me your address. I'm going to get a case sent to you. So basically they have all these mocktails. So they have the Paloma, they have a margarita, um, they have a Moscow Mule and they're delicious. So they have these mocktails and now they're launching spirits. So they just launched the St. Mescal, which is their version of a uh, Mescal all obviously alcohol-free, all based around plant medicine. They have a um, a shaman, a female shaman who blesses all the, you know, kind of like the recipes and kind of comes up with them. So it's, you know, you can smell the palo santo, you can smell the sage, the lion's mane. It's beautiful. What is and it? So I think little saints. Wow. And what is, where is it? American company? She's an American woman. And by the way, she's had a real, um, you know, she was a lawyer, environmental lawyer and stuff. She's incredible, the founder. Her name is Megan Klein. And um, she had a very beautiful journey with ayahuasca as well. And it inspired her to start this company. So another thing going back to the plant medicine, which is so funny is a lot of this work can inspire you from a business perspective. I know we talked about work for like, sorry, emotions for a second. My career really started taking off during this journey. I was able to really build and have clear vision around my business. And for me, like, like if you'd ask me what I want to do with IHC in the next 10 years, I want to become the agency when it comes to modern wellness and biohacking. So sleep tech, health tech, wellness, functional medicine, functional practitioners. I want to be the one leading the charge for this space. And I got a lot of clarity around my business, how I am as a founder, what I need to work on as a CEO, where my flaws are coming in, how to build a team on my journey with plant medicine. And Megan started her business, Little Saints, after a journey that she had with ayahuasca. Amazing. That's great. I love it. I I can't wait to try it. Um, Yeah. I need to take you on my next retreat in September. I swear I would love to go. I I genuinely would really love to go. Um, What... What beauty products do you use? Because then if we're talking about all this, you you know, you've really <laughs> researched on when it comes to to really what we put into our body and we consume. Yeah. What have you seen out there that you that you've liked that you're actually putting in your face? So very recently, just like a month or two ago, because I've been kind of going down this, I want to get into clean fragrances and all this stuff. Um, one of our advisors started this incredible um, clean fragrance line called Five Senses. She's Indian. She's actually the founder of Wonder Beauty. And um, her fragrance is absolutely amazing. All clean, sustainable. She's got a whole sustainability arm to everything. So they're really great. Beauty-wise, I just got introduced to this brand. I don't know if you know it, called Beauty Counter. Um, it was like tiny little black branding. No, it's, it's yellow and white. And I just got introduced to them and they do everything from like makeup to skincare and all this stuff. I actually just ordered a ton of stuff as well. Beauty counter. And the founder has been behind changing a lot of legislation around what you know, ingredients are allowed into our beauty products in the U.S. Because, you know, just like our food system, the beauty the beauty arm is also broken. We're allowing in so many toxins and chemicals into our beauty products, into our cleaning supplies that should not be allowed, which in Europe are not allowed in their band. So the founder, I have to remember her name. I don't remember it right now, but essentially has, you know, been part of legislation, changing a lot of legislation, getting like multiple laws written around what what products are actually allowed and what ingredients allowed into these products and really educating women on that. You know, because if you're not using, what we put onto our skin can really dysregulate, especially as women, our hormones. And our hormones play 
such a big role in our day-to-day functionings and who we are. That's why you see a lot of women developing early stage cancers, having like thrown off cycles. Women are menopausing earlier than much earlier than ever before. And that's all down to all the toxins that we're consuming. Sorry? Sounds fascinating, huh? Yeah. So and it works. Yeah, I'm going to send this link to you. I just actually ordered a bunch of stuff. So recently I've kind of shifted over. I have some other brands I use here and there. Like I've been using SkinCeuticals for a while and all, but I really am intrigued by this brand. It's all clean. And I've heard the results are absolutely amazing. I had a bunch of um, functional friends who work in the functional medicine space who've been using the products and really swear by them. So it's called Beauty Counter. And you order it straight from their website or they have a store, I believe, in New York. Very cool. All right, so I, before we finish this, but I could continue talking so much with you because oh, I love so much from you. Uh, but I do want to share with our community because I love this about something that you've been doing. Um, it's very attached to my purpose in life, which you founded a Refugee Assistant Alliance nonprofit organization um, that supports in the Miami-Dade and Board and Boward. And tell me a little bit about the organization. And how so, does can contribute to your mission? Yeah. So basically, I somebody else founded it. I'm actually one of the volunteers. So I got into uh, RAA because a volunteer when the whole crisis in Afghanistan happened, um, and you know all these refugees were kind of coming over. Now, you know them being shipped off to all different parts of the U.S. to you know a lot of these people didn't speak English to connect with people who don't know how to communicate to them because a lot of them are not even educated. So I got into this work. I, I love working with refugees and I love animals. So the two biggest probably passions that I have in my life um, besides wellness. Um, so I got working with the refugees to help them with their rehoming, finding their kids' school, helping them get set up. And it was so sad to see how little support these people have when they get to this country. So we're shipping them out to this country because of the disaster that we created on the other side of the world, but we are not prepared with the right resources, the right tools to supply these people. And they come into these temporary visas and they just kind of get left and abandoned on the wayside. Imagine a person coming to this country, has never lived it outside of Afghanistan, doesn't speak a word of English. Some of them don't even know how to read and write, but they've been put onto these flights to escape and they come in and there's no support around them. So RAA is an absolutely incredible organization that works with people from third world countries, primarily people from Muslim countries or Latin American countries who enter the U.S. and don't have the right support system. So they find them housing, they help them open up bank accounts, they help their kids get into schools. Um, they help, um, sorry, I got to cut off there. Um, so they help you get into schools, open up bank accounts, find housing, have, find doctors for the children. So I got involved with them and the work was absolutely amazing. Um, so I'm very, very passionate about the work that they're doing and they're, they're very well organized. The founder is Jamie. Um, you know, she, she's really done incredible things. And the other thing I'm extremely passionate about is animals. I rescue a lot of dogs, especially large dog breeds and place them into homes. I work with a lot of different rescues. Um, and that's another thing I used to be like, the people think I'm crazy. All I just post about this dog being adopted and that dog being adopted. But in the last, let's say two and a half years I've been doing this, I've been able to place 35 dogs into amazing homes. Um, and that for me is probably a really big deal for me because that work gives me so much satisfaction to my soul. Um, we have four dogs that we've rescued over the course of the years. My husband's very overwhelmed at times. He's like, we're not getting a fifth dog. But um, I saved a life. I you know saved a life. I don't know if you've met her before. Amanda Hirsch. Have you met her before? No, I don't think I have. I would love oh, to be introduced. Promise me that I'll um, just remind me that I will forget that I'll connect with her because she has a nonprofit exactly on this that she started many, many years ago. Um, and you'll have a mutual friend with her as well. She's yes. close friends with Ari Suster. And yes. she's, this is so, this is her passion. And I think you guys maybe could do things together. I, I would love to. And, you know, I want to educate people and take a minute. So there is, 
you want to buy, you want a specific breed because people are like, oh, I just want a specific breed. You have breed specific rescues. I'm seeing doodle puppies up for like being, have to be, um, I see doodle puppies up for rescue, cocker spaniels, any breed you can think of, you could probably rescue them. So just remember backyard breeders are part of the problem. Puppy mills are a big part of the problem. And Florida is having a crisis when it comes to animals. The shelters are putting down, let's say 70 to 75 dogs a day right now, even though they're non-kill shelters because they're over, they're at capacity. They don't know what to do. The, the shelter is being misrun. And so a lot of this work is really rewarding because remember when you rescue an animal, and by the way, a lot of the dogs don't have traumas. Our dogs are absolutely fantastic. Um, it's just how you, you know, kind of work them into your family and work them into a system. Just remember you're saving a life. And that is no amount of money. You cannot put a price tag on that for what you do for this animal's life. That's wonderful. All the work that you're putting, seriously, because you're not just really saying it, you're really executing on it. Yeah. Um, I finish every podcast with the same question because it's really everything that I've done for laughs. It takes me to my why. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a book that I once read of someone that I love following. That's called Simon Sinek. Anyways, and I always end with this question, which is, what is your why? My why is to be in service. I have learned through my journey that I'm here to be part of something much bigger. The universe is much bigger than me. My work here, you know, people are much bigger than I am. And I want to be in service. And I want to be in service to the clients that we are building their goals and their dreams. I'm here to be in service to people. And that's what keeps me going every day. I am excited to work up, wake up in the morning and be like, how am I going to contribute to people around me? And how am I going to contribute to helping people, other people achieve their dreams and just become better versions of themselves without the bullshit. So really for me, my why is to, to be in service. That's wonderful. To all of you guys listening, thanks for being here with us and make sure to follow Iman for if you guys want to really learn more about plant-based products, psychedelics, constant new i mean i've changed all my vitamins that i was consuming because it was i realized through learning from your journey that everything i was consuming my body was junk and i started really reading about it so thanks so much for this um i really incentivize you guys to follow her if you guys are interested in being more conscious and learning about everything that's out there that is just gonna give us longevity right so thank you so much. I'm so grateful, you know, for our friendship and the way we always connect. And you and I always have the best time when we meet. And I'm so grateful that you're open, Estefania, to learning. And, you know, your dialogue with you is always very inspiring. And that's what I love about what you created with laughs. You're always, you're really revolutionary when it comes to the way you think, the way you build laughs and the work you're doing is absolutely beautiful to watch. That's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. We hope that you have enjoyed this conversation. You can email us your suggestions on who you would like to hear in our next episode. If you like this chapter, don't forget to leave a comment or rank this podcast. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Latin American Fashion Summit and on Tribu by Laughs, a new platform that will revolutionize the way in which the fashion industry connects. Thanks for tuning in onto the Laughs Podcast.